Are we ready? Are we ready? <laughs> Are we ready? I don't I, know uh, this song. <laughs> I'm a thief. I'm a thief. <laughs> no, I thought I was improvising. I thought you were gonna oh, improvise with oh. me. Every time someone says the word "Are you ready?" I think of the beginning of the Zoe 101 theme song, which oh, is "Are you ready?" All right, welcome back to You Know What I've Been Wondering, comedy podcast hosted by Sarah and Jane. All right, we got a lot to cover today. A lot, a lot. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm like fine. I, so I've been having all this drama with my debit card where oh. for some reason I've been changing our, my address on the like mobile app. I've talked to multiple customer service representatives mm-hmm. and been like reiterating, this is my address, this is my address. Like I have it in writing. And then the other night I went on to make sure, because I still haven't received it. I was supposed to get it like two months ago. Yeah. I went on to make sure that like this last time when I told them the address, they definitely recorded it right and they had mixed up the numbers. Oh. So it was still not being sent to the right place. So I fixed it. And now I got like an automated message that says your debit card is like in the mail and will get here by March 26th. And like they're changing over. The bank owner is changing. So they're setting up a new account. So I'm getting emails being like, if you don't change it, then you're going to lose your account. But like this is their fault because yeah. I have it in writing that multiple times I gave them the right address and they sent it to the wrong place. And I tried to contact them to be like, I need you to confirm that you have changed my address and then a new debit card has been mailed to this location and I haven't heard anything. That's so frustrating. So like I'm I I mean I'm not gonna lose all the money in the bank account if I don't get it soon. I'm just gonna transfer it out. But like yeah. it's frustrating that I'm getting all these things being like you need to do this otherwise you're gonna lose your account XYZ and like that's super frustrating. Yeah. So that's where I'm at. How are you? Uh, I'm doing okay. Um still have this cold. Can I just point out how on brand our coffee mugs are right now? Um, oh yeah, her, Sarah is drinking from a mug that um, says Leo on it, and it's like pink, it's pink like a and pink gold sparkly with, yeah, like, yeah. with a lion on it. And I am drinking out of a mug that is shaped like Harry Potter's face. So <laughs> we're on brand always. It's very on brand. Maybe one day we'll get you know what I've been wondering mugs. <gasps> oh my god, oh, the cute little camper mugs that are like tin. I'm sorry you're still sick. There's some airborne next to you if you oh want. Oh my it. gosh. One time. This is. So one time. <laughs> Our so, brains both went to the exact same place. Oh, push, yeah. Just, <laughs> so a couple of weeks ago, Jade and I both bought airborne because her and I were both like getting sick because we both work with children, so we get sick a lot. Um, and we both bought like gummy airborne vitamins. See, um, I would just like to point out that the bottle says. To chew three gummies up to three times a day. Okay. So what? That is it's n- nine a that's day? Nine, and there's not even that many in here. Servings per container, 14. So that's a serving and a half. And those are like $18. So Jane gets the airborne. <laughs> Jane and I both get these airborne gummies. And I had mistakenly left mine in the living room. And hers were like in the bathroom. And I see her walk into my room, and she's, like, popping them <laughs> like she's eating chips. And she's wa- holding them, and she walks into my room, and I go, okay, first of all, why are you eating those like they're candy? Second of all, those are mine. <laughs> <laughs> my container only, was bigger. I had only eaten, like, two. Yeah, it was just funny, because you weren't, you weren't eating them like you had an intention to stop. <laughs> it was, like... Just popping them in there. Now I know you're supposed to eat nine a day, which is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Don't do that. I eat literally one a day. She's reaching for more. <laughs> no, I'm not reaching for more. I'm reading them. Maybe they mean like 
one three times a day, so three total. Oh, three total. But it says two, three gummies up to three times a day. Oh, up to. Oh, can I have some? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sponsored by Airborne. Just kidding. It's our, not. No, yet. Not. Not um, yet. No, this is our snack. This is our snack. Very yummy. Yeah, very yummy. My friends, um, well, our friends, um, Jenna and Becky and Melinda, um, they used to live in a triple at our college, Muhlenberg College, sophomore year. And <laughs> one semester, they bought this, like, big tub of, like, Disney gummy vitamins. <laughs> And, like, once a day, they would, like, convene as a group and, like, each take, take one. Vitamins. And they would call it healthing. And they'd be like, all right, everyone, gather around. It's time to health. And they would just, like, each pop a Disney gummy vitamin that were all shaped like Disney princesses. I, like, just got into vitamins. I mean, my mom would make me take vitamins when I lived at mm. home. Which she should, because they are good for you. But yeah. it was never something I really thought about. And then I started working with kids. Mm-hmm. My immune system was really shot, so I started taking airborne. And now I get care of vitamins. Also not an ad, but really great company. Um, and I take those every day. So it's something I've definitely gotten more into. I can't really tell if it's helping. Like, I think I, I take vitamins for, like, my hair and my skin. And I I don't know if it's helping, yeah. like, for sure. But I like it. I think it's a good practice. It's, like, therapeutic, I think, to feel like, okay, every morning, like, this is my, this is my daily dose of self-care, you yeah. know? But they're expensive. They can be really expensive. Yeah. Well, speaking of ways to treat your ailments. Oh my goodness. Are we launching into yeah, it? Yeah. Last right. week you told me that you were wondering about crystals. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna use that as a segue to dive right into my tell research me here. Tell me, tell me. Alright, so a majority of the information I found I got from this website called crystalage.com. Um <laughs> I also got some information, not uh, much, from this book called Inner Witch by Gabriella Herstick, also a book I already owned, uh, A Modern Guide to the Ancient Craft, which the next, your question will be about, like, Arthurian legend, because I have a book about that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, Um, maybe. I think it's funny because the chapter about crystals, chapter seven, the ABCs, crystal and astrology. So this book is making it clear that, like, crystals and astrology are both, like, the most basic thing when you're trying to get into like witchcraft, yeah, like, the occult. And Your starter pack is tarot set. in there. Um, yep, chapter three, divine the signs, the tarot. Ooh, I want to read that. Anyway, but m- oh my god, hold on. Okay, I have these vegan fruit snacks in my room for us to eat, <laughs> and I just realized I just realized the box says "you talk and snack" on it. You talk. You, you talk, talk and snack. snack. <laughs> like you talk and smack, but. <laughs> Sorry, that's so funny. That's fine. No, well, I think um, this book is great for more of like understanding what each, like the properties of different crystals, mm-hmm. but it didn't have much about the history of them. So that's where crystalage.com came in, came in, <laughs> in handy for me. According to crystalage.com, the use of talismans and amulets dates back to the beginning of humankind. Humankind? Mm. Humankind. All right, I want to know more about when humankind began, right. but we'll get, that, we'll get there somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, the first historical references to the use of crystals came from the ancient Sumerians, who included crystals in magic formula. The ancient Egyptians used lapis lazuli, turquoise. Oh, um, lapis carnelian, emerald, and clear quartz in their jewelry. 
They also carved grave amulets and some gems. The ancient Egyptians used stones primarily for protection and health. Crystallite, or no, wait, hang on. I'm sorry, it's chrysolite, no T, later translated as both topaz and peridite. (laughs) No shade, Um, no T, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Was used to combat night terrors and purge evil spirits. Uh, Egyptians also used crystals cosmetically, which I think is just a fancy way of saying, like, they pretty, we put them on jewelry. Right. Um, And green stones were used in a similar way at later periods in ancient Mexico. Ancient Greeks attribute a number of properties to crystals, and many names we use today are of Greek origin. The word crystal, I found this fascinating, comes from the Greek word for ice. Oh. Mm-hmm. Is that because they thought they were just like frozen rocks? Yeah, it was believed that clear quartz was water that had frozen so deeply that it remained solid. Oh my god, they thought that Elsa had come around. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. Um, the word... Amethyst, the oh, amethyst, duh. <laughs> Can't break that apart one by one. The word amethyst means, and this is funny, it means not drunken. <laughs> because it was worn as an amulet to prevent from drunkenness and hangover. You're kidding. I need to get amethyst for when I got too hard on the weekends. Um, and hamlet comes from the word for blood because the red coloration produced when it oxidizes. Hamlet is an iron ore, and ancient Greeks associated iron with Ares, the god of war. Greek soldiers would rub hermolite all over their bodies before battle, reportedly to make themselves invulnerable. Ooh, that'll come Ooh. up later. Um, they never show that in, in all those shows about ancient battles. They should show that part. What, them rubbing stones all over themselves? Yeah, and being like, I'm invincible now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, Greek sailors also wore a variety of amulets to keep themselves safe at sea. Oh. Um, so jade was highly valued in ancient China, and some Chinese written characters represented jade beads. Around 100 years ago, emperors were sometimes buried in jade armor. Oh, interesting. Oh, a thousand years ago. I'm sorry. I was like, that seems really recent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, isn't there, like, not a lot of jade left in the world, too, because people oh. used it so much? I don't know. I thought that was, like, a thing. I, I like that. Um, there are burials with jade masks from around the same period in Mexico. Jade was recognized as a kidney heal- kidney healer kidney healing stone. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, I'm a little bit dyslexic today. It's okay. No, it's right. Um, really both well. in China and South America. So it's like interesting that like stuff was going on in China and Mexico that was very similar. Yeah, that is um, interesting. More recently, dating from around 250 years ago, the Maoris M A O R I S of New Zealand wore jade pendants representing the ancestor spirits, which were passed down for many oh. generations through the male line, of course. Um, the tradition of greenstones being lucky continues in parts of New Zealand to this day. Crystals and gemstones um, have been mentioned in a number of religious texts, including the Bible and the Quran. Ooh, where um, do we know? It was really just like, it was like one book they mentioned like someone wearing, like, it was like Zachariah or someone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, interesting. There's also an ancient sacred lapidary treatise called the, no, forgive my pronunciation here, the Ratnaparishka. Ratnaparishka? No, 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 no. Ratnaparishka. Ooh. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm very much mispronouncing that. Um, of Buddha Bata. Um, some sources state that this is Hindu, but mostly believe that it's Buddhist. 
Uh, the date that is made is uncertain, but it's probably from the 6th century. And in this treatise, diamonds were figured super highly, um, and the king of gemstones. And they're all <laughs> ranked according to caste. I'm sorry, that just sounds like a crazy hipster. King of gemstones. King gemsto- of gemstones. King of gemstones. I googled this very treatise, and it seems to just be like an... It was Wikipedia calls it an ancient science used for testing and classifying gemstones, gemstones, which I thought was interesting. Um, in Europe, in the 11th century, moving on to more recent times, you know, <laughs> more recent for Europe. That's so before <laughs> America. In Europe, in the 11th century, through the Renaissance, um, a number of medical practices using precious and semi-precious stones in the treatment of certain ailments appeared, um, typically used in conjunction with herbal remedies. Ooh. Um, <laughs> this I thought was hilarious. Um, in the year 1232, Hubert de Berg, the chief gesticular, I don't know if that's like another word for justice. Sure, gesticular, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, of Henry III. Um, oh, he probably was like his lawyer. <laughs> uh, he was accused of stealing... Um, a gem from King Henry III's treasury to give to his enemy, the King of Wales, Llewellyn. And this was such... Did um, it, like, mess up Henry III's dreams? No, but this was such a big offense because this particular stone was rumored to make the wearer invincible. Oh. So the fact that he took the king's stone and gave it to his enemy was like, oh, shoot. like Shady! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so during the Renaissance, the tradition of using stones in healing was accepted. But... Acquiring minds of the period sought to find out how the process actually worked and give it scientific explanation. And then I wrote in parentheses, so people were like, what's the science behind that? <laughs> <laughs> and then this guy named Anselmus de Boot in 1609 um, was the court physician of Rudolf II of Germany. Um, he said the mystical properties of gemstones were because of the presence of good or bad angels. And this is like the best marketing for crystals you can think of because basically he said like some gems have good angels that give them mystical properties right and some gems just have bad angels that like trick you into thinking it has mystical properties when it doesn't so basically like if you get a gemstone for healing and it doesn't work it's just because that one has a bad angel (laughs) those poor gemstones yeah (laughs) it says bad angels would tempt people into believing the stone itself and not in god's gift bestowed on it so on one hand he was like yes gems are real but also like the ones that don't work like you can just blame it on the angels and it's all superstition like right but like that whole thing that he said kind of made people question it and then it was kind of basically he said that good angels would give the gems their healing properties <laughs> did you just drink the kombucha take this <laughs> put it in the fridge or something it's grosser now <laughs> <laughs> it's grosser it got grosser um i'm so sorry so, but this guy's like writing about the good and the bad angels kind of made people to start questioning how true it was that crystals actually had mystical properties. Mm-hmm. And then this guy, Thomas Nichols, wrote in his Faithful Lapidary that gems couldn't possess the effects that people had claimed in the past. And all of a sudden, like that put a big what is the word I'm looking for? That like Stop. nail in the coffin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, um, people thinking that crystals could heal them um and then the age of enlightenment came about and um the use of stones for healing and protection fell from popularity in western cultures oh that's interesting that that happened like with the age of enlightenment yeah. that they were like mm, there's no logical reason for this <laughs> 
the raven claws were like no more oh don't say that about my people <laughs> they love divination um oh this was interesting um but in the early part of the 19th century people who said that they were um clairvoyant mm-hmm. um participated in a bunch of experiments where basically oh. they would have like people like hold different gemstones up to them and they claimed that it would change the way that they were feeling physically and emotionally. Like some of them even being like, oh, you just put something against my skin. It makes me taste something different. Like, so they were claiming that like, oh, because I'm clairvoyant, crystals affect me in different ways. Crystals were no longer used medicinally, but a lot of cultures still consider certain gemstones to hold symbolic and traditional meaning. For instance, some Native American tribes still consider turquoise to be sacred. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the 1980s, along with New Age culture, crystals began to reemerge <laughs> as a healing method. And several books were written in the 80s, which helped popularize them again. Um, and that's really when crystal therapy became a thing. Okay, remember- what is crystal therapy? Crystal therapy... Um, if I'm interpreting BuzzFeed videos correctly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everything I know I learned from BuzzFeed. <laughs> um, it's mostly, like like an aided meditation I think like you lie on your back they put a bunch of crystals around you mm-hmm. they use like incense it's like a guided meditation right so I feel like it doesn't totally have to do with like whether or not crystals actually work it's really just like the process of it all gotcha. but you know what who knows like maybe they do like I don't know I think crystals are fun I have a couple of them yeah, they've been recharging in our, <laughs> in our, in our kitchen window for, like, two months. No, they're was, in like, my room on my windowsill now. Oh, are they? Okay. There was, like, what was it? The super wolf blood like moon? super snow moon or something. Yeah, and Jane was like, ooh, I'll put the crystals in the kitchen window, which is, like, down a little bit. Like, you can't really see it because it's, like, we have a, we have our counters and there's a cutoff area where the windows are and it's a little below. So don't really look there. Um, and she can put them there to, like, catch some moonlight. <laughs> catch some moon rays and, and I left them there for like months there for like months and then one day in the or in the morning because I get up really I get up early for one of my jobs yeah. um I was like in the kitchen and I looked in there and I was like what is this why is one of our bowls here and it had all these crystals in it and I was like ah these are Jane's um, there's this quote from this book that I really love that's, um, it says, crystals are as old as the earth and have evolved alongside her, waiting Aww. for unlock their potential for healing. Aww, um, which is, like, again, like, don't rely on them for healing. Like, here's the thing. If you're sick, go to a doctor. Like, don't... Again with the kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> don't use kombucha. Don't use crystals. Right, right, To right, heal right. yourself. I always have, like, gemstones that I like, but they're not, like, particularly pertinent to me. Like, I think lapis lazuli is really pretty, but whatever its mm-hmm. function is, I've looked it up before. I was like, oh, this doesn't really, like, apply to me. Uh, here we go. Um, lapis lazuli is a deep blue stone marked with flecks of gold. It helps open our third eye while balancing the throat chakra. Um, an immensely spiritual stone lapis can help with dream work. Never heard that word at, in, out of side of dream works. Um... <laughs> And developing psychic abilities, spiritual journeying, and connecting the spirit guides and harmonizing the body at a physical, spiritual, and emotional, and mental level. That's super interesting, because I'm about to cover spirit spirit animals, oh. and that allows Lazulis for spirit guides. So that was a, a lovely, what is it, stars aligned, you know? Lapis is also a great leadership stone for women who feel scared when changing from girl to woman. Oh, that's good to know. Okay, so I have, according to these little cards, citrine, sunstone, tumbled pyrite, black onyx, 
carnelian, yellow jasper, clear quartz, and what's the last one? Red tiger's eye. Um, so those are the energies that are in our... Did you say you had carnelian? Yeah. Are any of those the Leo one? Yeah, yeah, for fire signs. Citrine, carnelian, and fire opal are really good for Leos. Oh. Because I just got... It also came with this card that says, like, for you, Leo. And then um, the card says, the crystals that you received all have a special connection with your zodiac sign. They will support and complement the positive aspects of it, minimize and tone down the not-so-positive aspects, too. Wow, thanks. Drag me. (laughs) Um, uh, Wait, what were the ones that they said were good for Leos? Um, for all the fire signs, Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius, um, it says that citrine, carnelian, and fire opal are all good stones. Gotcha. For so when they say that the stones are good for you, does that mean, like, do the stones themselves, people believe, have energy to them? Like, is it an energy thing, or is it a, like, is it, like, a chemical thing? Well, I mean, this paragraph that I just read basically um, says that... Um, these are energizing stones that will help you burn hot without burning out. Oh, interesting. Um, but I don't know what they mean, like, what the, like, I don't know how to answer your question, like, what the cause of it is. Yeah. Um, why do, do you know why crystals need to be, I know there's, like, a thing that they have to be recharged, that's why you put them in the window. Like, why do they need to be recharged? Um, basically, like, what people, the reason why people tell them you need to, like, charge them is that, like, Crystals are, like, kind of said to absorb the energy around them. Oh, um, so you release them. Yeah. So, like, if you're if you're carrying around a stone and, like, a lot of, like, bad stuff happens to you, like, then, like, you're carrying around that bad... So you need to, like, cleanse it. Because, so, like, it gives you... I think it, it's supposed to be, like, a symbiotic relationship where, like, it gives you energy and, like, luck mm-hmm. and help in the areas that, like, that specific stone gotcha. will help you. But at the same time, it, like, is absorbing energy. Oh, um, Okay. So you need to cleanse it of that energy. There's a lot of different ways. Um, It seems basically like from all the research I've done when I was trying to figure out how to charge and cleanse my um, crystals when I first started getting crystals and people were like, oh, you know, you have to like cleanse them and charge them. Like I Googled how to charge them and how to cleanse them. And it was basically like whatever you want like like (laughs) wash them yeah literally one of them was like run them underwater because water is like one of the elements one of them said like you can use salt because salt is also like Mm -hmm. an element so (laughs) now they're just naming elements i know one of them was like if you literally have no other way to cleanse your crystals um lay them out on a table in front of you take your i think take your dominant hand and <laughs> wave it over the crystals like seven times counterclockwise mm-hmm. while just like thinking good thoughts. Oh, oh here, here I found the exact answer to what you were just saying. Crystals have their own ener- are their own energetic beings that need TLC just like we do. Cleansing <laughs> a crystal means removing any excess energy that may have absorbed or clung to it. Oh, so crystals need a spa day. <laughs> Just like we, we all do. We all need a massage every once in a while. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When we cleanse our crystals, we're clearing them so we can work with them, or we're clearing them so that they may be charged with an intention. Oh, mm-hmm. very interesting. But, I mean, it, it's kind of, it's very similar to astrology in that it's like something fun you can believe in, but again, don't replace it for modern medicine. Like, no, don't replace it with modern medicine. Okay, 
Thank you. That was so informative. <laughs> now I know what my crystals are for. <laughs> I mean, if you ever want to learn more about them, I feel like I didn't teach you a lot about individual crystals. No. But there's just so many that exist in the world. Yeah, no, that was like, so I, I didn't want to sit here and be like, this one means this, this one means this, this one means Because that didn't seem like it's that exciting or humorous a thing to do. No, I, the history is super interesting. It's cool that, like, it's been used across a lot of cultures. I know. I need to do something. I guess kombucha was more of a modern thing, but I feel like everything I've reached has been like, all right, let's get out our world history textbook. Going to ancient Sumeria. (laughs) (laughs) No, ancient culture is really important. It's super, it's it's important to understand ancient culture as a way to understand modern culture. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. So, (laughs) you asked me about spirit animals. I did. This is this is a little sad. Oh no! So as I said, I've been seeing like a lot of tweets recently. I don't know why they've just been coming up for me now about native people saying like, please don't use the word spirit animal as like a joke or whatever. Mm. So I kind of use it as like a launching point to be like, okay, like why is the term spirit animal like culturally insensitive? Mm-hmm. Um, and then what? what are they like what is the real term and what are they and what are their purpose because i think it's important to understand what they really are for and essentially what i'm going to say is that if you're a non-native person and you want to talk about an animal that you like a lot and you really embody you just use the word patronus and that's all fine <laughs> so they're your patronus they're not your spirit animal it's different because <laughs> um, the thing is is that people are using it wrong like i hear all the time like th- like you see mugs on etsy that's like coffee is my spirit animal or like that's not yeah. That's not its function. That's not its purpose. Like, people are just throwing on the phrase spirit animal. I see a lot of people referring to celebrities as their spirit animal. Yeah. And then there's, like, relate to something, like a raccoon mm-hmm. digging through a trash can. You're like, <laughs> my spirit animal, which, like, is funny, but, like, also not the purpose of a spirit animal and culturally insensitive to um, cultures that really admire um, their connections with animals and spirits and things. So... The term spirit animal is a montpatch term that was fabricated um, by essentially colonialists um, based off of their observations of native practices. It does derive from indigenous culture, but it is not an actual term used in indigenous culture to describe any sort of practice. It's a fabricated word. Um, it's not a term that they that they would really use. Um, spirit animal has been used as a sort of catch-all phrase to describe mm-hmm. the presence of animals in ritualistic practices. But, like I said, um, it's a kind of umbrella to refer to all practices that include animals in them. Oh, okay. Um, not just from indigenous cultures necessarily, but that's like, when you say spirit animal, that's the culture that you're mostly appropriating mm-hmm. because, like, when you say spirit animal, like, yes, there are cases in, like, Norway and Ireland and Celtic religion where they do use animals and spirits within their practice. But, like, when you say spirit animal, you're not thinking of them. Because it calls about a specifically, like, native tone to it, like, it's most offensive to that community when you yeah. use it. If so there is no Wikipedia article for spirit animal. That also just, like, proves the point that spirit animal is not a real thing. Like, yeah, I'm going to really understand Exactly. That. Like, a spirit animal, when you click on it on Wikipedia, it takes you to a menu that's like, did you mean, and the three options are spirit guide, power animal, or totem animal. Totem mm. animal, as you said, is, like, brother bear. Yeah. Um, so if you think of totem animal, it's, like, mostly similar to brother bear. Although brother bear, like, that practice was also kind of, like, fabricated a little bit but we'll get into like totemism 
Um, not all indigenous groups believe in spirit animals, but those who do practice this tradition have rituals that go just beyond naming your spirit animal so a lot of people like there are all these buzzfeed quizzes or whatever that's like find your spirit animal like that's not how it works it's not just like you're like oh like i like eagles so it's gonna be an eagle that's not that's not how it works (laughs) there's like a ritual and some sort of like formal connection um that takes like sometimes years and years to build and this also the fact that not all indigenous groups will like have that as a part of their practice has made people think like oh it's like not a real cultural thing and therefore like you can't culturally appropriate it Mm -hmm. but just because some groups don't use it doesn't mean that others don't the cherokee are very different from the um ojibwe very different from each separate nation you know there are still it's just like how practices in Catholicism are very different than practices in Presbyterianism. It's the same idea. So just because you see, you meet one native person who doesn't have a spirit, like don't go to a native person and be like, what's your spirit animal? That's just wrong. (laughs) But also like don't assume that they're, that they're, Conversation starter. (laughs) Don't also don't assume that their culture has something like that as well. Um, There's normally a process to discovering your animal. If you do, practice this um and that animal will serve a specific function in that person's life so again you it's not just like a i like dolphins like it's normally (laughs) has something to do with their personality or their trade or something like that that's how they'll get their spirit guide or power animal Familiars are also different. Oh my god. Oh yes. My god. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be okay. Familiars are also different because they are living and breathing animals in the world. So yeah, familiars yeah. is something like really linked to witchcraft. They're, they serve a totally different function because spirit animals have something to do that's like internal and familiars are like an external power. Um, neither totemism or animal guides fit the concept of a spirit animal as is represented in indigenous cultural practices. So totemism is different um, as is like an animal guide like you might hear from other cultures Mm -hmm. Um, those are two things that appear in other cultures but not necessarily an indigenous culture things like shapeshifters um, animals that appear in dreams as messengers or any number of representations of animals in spiritual practices are not by default spirit animals Um, and these things often have their own titles and serve a purpose that could be like very different from a spirit animal so again spirit animal very deep personal connection with like a specific role which i will go into what like an actual spirit animal is um but those are very different than like the you just regular using animals in any sort of ritual it doesn't automatically make it a spirit animal so there was this article from the atlantic that i found really interesting and they're talking about it how like people are on the internet are like saying taylor swift is my spirit animal or whatever and that <laughs> it showed this like chart about how the use of the word has rapidly increased so it started in like 2000 i think nine and like the chart just like grew exponentially with like the number of hits the word spirit animal was getting to the point where like they it got a definition on urban dictionary and things like that and then mm-hmm. it's mostly because of tumblr because people on tumblr were like really into using those sort of things so i got on tumblr <laughs> and i well it still exists isn't it going down in six months or something well yeah so they changed um some of the like 
protections on Tumblr. Like, it's like they are monitoring content more. And stuff like <laughs> female that. presenting nipple. Yes. <laughs> no more female presenting nipple on Tumblr. So, yes, but it is it is still up and running. There was one in particular that I found really interesting. There was one Tumblr user was essentially trying to say that because the term spirit animal is a fabricated term, it's not offensive, then cited some random Yahoo Answers pages where a couple of native people said their communities do not practice animal guides. Um, so, essentially, he was trying to be like, look at all these people. I know one Cherokee person and they don't do it. Like, that's essentially what this person was doing. And then one Metis Anishinaabe person said this, um, which I've kind of abbreviated. Just because you point to three native people from cultures that don't have such a tradition doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. This tradition is a very sacred one and thanks to colonization, it is being forgotten in huge amounts to the extent that most young natives don't even really know much about it. A situation exacerbated by popular appropriation of, quote, spirit animals. Yes, people around the world have and had similar traditions of spirit helpers who are frequently animals. However, the concept of spirit animals in popular culture came from anthropologists' description of Native American regions. It doesn't matter if the ancient Celts had similar practices because spirit animals are associated in the popular imaginations with Natives, not Celts. I and other Natives regularly get asked, can you tell me what my spirit animal is? Irish people, for instance, do not. So again, just continues this like never-ending cycle of like stereotyping and again, making light of something that is very sacred to a lot of people. This user also wrote, um, the fact that spirit animals in popular culture are a bastardized form of native traditions does not mean that they are not appropriative or harmful. So because the popular idea of it comes to supersede the original meaning infantilizing our traditions. So again, it sums sums it up that appropriation is still a form of violence as a group, and there have already been victims of like white colonialism for centuries. Like we don't need to continue to like take their words or make light of something again that is super personal and continue to you know just be like oh it's a harmful practice like yeah. just to like make a joke about it because it, it it's it's not harmless you know it does really matter to people also i this like fact came up did you know there are fewer native americans than jk rowling's number of twitter followers i feel like that doesn't jeez isn't that like awful? I don't know I'm processing that right now I feel like at first you're like oh that doesn't surprise me because like I feel like everyone on the planet follows JK Rowling on Twitter I mean she's not the most followed person on Twitter like I don't think she has she definitely doesn't have a billion she has millions JK Rowling has 14.6 million Twitter followers so that means there's less than 14.6 native yeah, people I mean that's like one 200th of the American population. That means that, like, the native population, we already know it's a very small percent, but, like, when you think of the fact that, like, America has 323 million people in it, and Mm -hmm. there are less than 14 million Native Americans. Like, that's insane. This also, I keep saying Native Americans, there's a lot of indigenous people from Australia also use this practice. Okay. Um, And I read a couple articles from people who are descendants of indigenous australians as well which i thought was really interesting so um also to mention that for years native people were banned from practicing like any sort of ritualistic practice out of like literally white fear because think about like we've watched dr quinn like think of all of those years of of, like people colonizing america and then the united states like the westward expansion and all of that like for all those years the the narrative was so like we have to quote unquote save the native americans and domesticate them or whatever so there was literally like decades of native people not being allowed to 
use their practices and now all of a sudden like all these like white people are like ooh, ooh but the buffalo is my spirit animal like you yeah. can and like the thing is is you can go online and like look up like the traditional spirit animals but there are still quizzes that are like are you more of a i don't know a yeah. fox or a wolf it's like that's not that's disrespectful to the fact that like we come from descendants that formerly oppressed and still oppress those nations yeah so here are some clearer terms so there is, there's kind of this, like, pyramid of information. Well, it's more of a reverse pyramid because there are big ideas on top that lead down to smaller ideas that are most similar to the spirit animal. So the big idea is animism, like animalism. Um, and this, the, this is the idea that, like, people have a spiritual connection or kinship with creatures or objects in nature, making the practice in the universe, all natural objects within the universe have spirits or souls. So that's the big idea of of animism. Within that, there is animal totems, and Native American animal totems are emblems of nations or groups of people, such as a family or clan. Um, They also reflect the lineage of a nation, reminding of their ancestry or mythical past and creation myths. Many nations also hold the belief that each of their people have animal totems that are spirit guides who sometimes appear in dreams or vision quests in the form of power animals and their dream meanings. These animal totems are spirit guide, walk through life with them, teaching and guiding them in and in some instances protecting them so these are totems that are there for the whole tribe and some people might experience those animals within that totem as a personal guide or a power animal um but not necessarily that's not necessarily the case but animal totems are often a representation of the tribe as a whole and the tribe as a whole's past it sometimes could be a particular clan or family within that nation but not necessarily um, I try, I'm trying not to, I read this one article that was like, do native people enjoy the use of the word tribe or not? And some people were like, I don't care. And some people were like, yes, it really bothers mm-hmm. me. So I've been trying not to use the word unless like some of these are quotes. So yeah, it's like in a quote, you're supposed to use the word nation or clan because they are sovereign. Okay. They are considered sovereign nations. So yeah, so there's animism and then there's animal totems, which is like a part of totemism. Okay. So shocker. Disney got it. Not totally correct. No, they didn't really get it correct. They like kind of made it simple for yeah. for the white children. Um, but like it is, it is, it is close and similar. But I'm I'm not enough of an expert, and I don't have the authority to be like, sure, it was fine. You know, I yeah. wonder, I wonder if like how native people feel about Brother Bear. We can find out. Um, so an animal. I'm sure there was a response at the time. Let's look it up. Did you ever read that book series, Animorphs? Just while you're looking at it. No. What is that? <laughs> I didn't read it either, but my brothers did, and I would always, like, look at the covers and play with it. It was literally, like, I guess just, like, a bunch of, like, teenagers. They were, like, animaguses, essentially. <laughs> they could, like, turn into animals, but, like, the cover was always, like, a person, like, and then, like, a series of pictures of them turning into the animal. Mm-hmm. But it always looked super cool. My brothers read, like, all of them. Oh, okay. So Brother Bear is um Menominee story that is like so it's an original native story, but it is more it's not so much um I mean they live in like Alaska. Alaska. Yeah, it's Alaska. Tell everybody like, I'm on my way. <laughs> <laughs> um, like Phil the, Collins. Like the the research I did was really focused on like a Midwestern okay. Midwestern area. And then the some of the northeast cultures but yeah so brother bear is an original like myth okay from 
northern native culture, like Alaskan culture. I feel like I trust Disney now to like actually do research about a movie that it about a culture that it's like doing a movie around. Mm-hmm. But like back then, probably not. <laughs> yeah, Diz boards in two thousand three has some stuff to say. Yeah, no, it didn't get like a super negative reaction. I mean, it was two thousand three, so like the internet wasn't like the hot spot for people gathering their opinions yet. But yeah, the whole like quote unquote outrage culture is like more recent mm-hmm. with like social media became big. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, a lot of, when you Google it, there's a lot that comes up. Like, someone wrote an essay about it, but, um, no, people were, like, fine with Brother Bear. Like, there wasn't a big, there wasn't a lot of outrage in response to that. Because, like, totems, yes, there are, like, totem poles, but totems could also be a personal item. Like, in the movie Inception, they call the things that, have you seen that movie? Yes. They call the things that, like, get them in and out of the dreams, like, totems. Like, it's a personal object. So that also could be, when we say totem, yes, we often think of totem poles, Mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily what it is. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, like, the necklace they wear in Brother Bear, like, that is a totem. Um, so then there are also animal spirits. An animal spirit is the spiritual energy of an animal on Earth. So it's got nothing to do with you. It's, like, it's not a personal thing. Um, and the animal spirit is greater than the actual animal because it embodies the essence of that animal itself. So, for instance, with a wolf spirit, it is the voice of all the wolves that have ever lived. So when you when you feel a wolf spirit, you're not talking about, like, that wolf. You're like, I feel the spirit of wolves. Okay. Yeah. Then there's the tribal animal spirit. So each Native American nation has a group of spirit animals that are most prevalent among its people, and they refer to their national totem. The spirit animals of a nation usually live in the area inhabited by the nation and have great medicinal power. These tribal spirit animals are important of the life in the nation as guides to sources of food and other essential items in the changing season. So this is like a very functional sort of purpose where it's like go and they help. They help you with, like, your day-to-day life and your, like, ability to survive. So how animal spirits are discovered. Animal spirit is identified by a strong feeling of connection to a particular animal. Animal spirit becomes apparent in everyday life when you are drawn to an animal for no apparent reason or a series of coincidences bring the same animal into your life. So if you change into a bear, you're probably a bear. (laughs) (laughs) An animal spirit might often reveal themselves to us through our subconscious during sleep and meditation. Every animal spirit has a special meaning and certain qualities that might help you in various stages of your life. So this is the personal spirit, not the okay. tribal spirit. The Tumblr user Garçonnier um, wrote this in 2011. Yes, I am really uncomfortable with how often people say person X is my spirit animal or just randomly tag things spirit animal without thinking about it. For the longest time, I didn't get what it was even supposed to mean. Just look at the tag on Tumblr and you see hockey players, fictional characters, movie stars, hipster animals, and hey, even a few animals. It has come to my attention that it is trendy to throw a spirit animal party. For the record, this is just dressing up as animals. (laughs) Which, like, furry culture is quaking. Just take a second, step back, and think about it before you throw around a term like spirit animal. Is there a better way of saying what you're trying to convey? If you're talking about a person, could you say, I have a lot of admiration for you, slash, we're kindred spirits, slash, you're my brother from another mother. If you're throwing a theme party, could you just throw an animal-themed party? Yeah, and that's really all the information I have. I know it's, like, really confusing because it's, like, some people follow this rule and some people do this and some people do that. The point is is that it's all different and using spirit animal is a blanket term is really harmful as like because it 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 makes you assume that you know what the cultural meaning of that is when you don't when every culture is very different even within 
our society. Um, so imagine like, you know, the hundreds of different nations that they could have different purposes, especially as you get from, you know, the function of animals in the Midwest is going to be super different than the function of animals in Alaska. Yeah. The native people there. And same with Australia, like just based off of like environment in itself. Someone said, this was a quote I got from somewhere, said, you erase the damages done to indigenous people for the last 525 years when you throw around phrases like spirit animals without a intention of understanding. Um, so if you are a white person, <laughs> do not run around <laughs> calling every person, place, or thing you see a, your spirit animal. That doesn't just say, like, white people. Like, non-native people in yeah. general. Um, it is definitely something that I see a lot of, like, you know, white girls running around being like oh my god rosé my spirit (laughs) um but yeah it is a deeply personal practice and i encourage everyone to learn more about it before they go throwing around stuff like that interesting yeah so that's it that's the whole thing do you have questions i don't it's just like always annoying to me how we've just like drastically oversimplified this like complex history i know and even like i felt bad because even researching this i was like i was trying so hard to be like what's the difference between totemism and animal and animism yeah what is the difference between a spirit animal guide and a power animal like and i still don't really have the answers like there's a lot that's just like frankly hard for me to understand which is unfortunate because it's like you you're denied this education like i didn't get education on indigenous cultures and most people don't like the only people who really receive that are people that are already a part of that community so it's like there i was running into all this vocabulary that i was like i don't even understand like i don't i had to look up the difference Mm -hmm. between shamanism and all these other things because like that's also something it's really related to shamanism and it's a huge shamanistic practice which some native some native people use and some native people don't like again so it's like it's unfortunate because we have such blanket ideas of native nations and their practices and their culture that we can't even I don't, I, like, it's hard to even begin to break them down. Yeah. Like, did you know that there's a map where you can look up where you were born, like, what native land that used to be? Oh. Yeah, like, whose territory you were on when you were born. Do you hear that? Yeah, Kelsey's probably All right. Shall we wrap this up? I guess so. I'm sorry. I'm trying to make this funny. Um, you don't have this to This is more of an educational episode than... A humorous one. It's fine. We still have our jokes. Yeah. All right. Um, I just got a promotional email from TJ Maxx, and I wanted to be like, what does that stand for? Thomas Jefferson Maxx? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've already got Jesus Christ Penny. So. Jesus Christ Penny, Thomas Jefferson Maxx. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to plug our social media, and then you're going to find out next week's topics after we do that. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at YKWIBW Podcast. You can check out our website at I've Been Wondering.com. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Just sometimes it's like crazy that we have all this stuff. Today. Oh, yeah. No, I have so many websites now. I'm like, whoa. If you are interested in becoming a monthly donor, you can check us out on Patreon at YKWIBW Podcast. And we have a lot of really exciting stuff to thank you for becoming a beneficiary. So please, please, please check it out and consider donating to us. It means a lot and it helps us, you know, justify (laughs) the time that we spend on this (laughs) with with financial compensation. But yes, if you donate, you can get 
some really special stuff for doing that. So please check that out. You can also check out our website, I've been wondering.com. We'll post photos and stuff like that that we reference during the show um, and other exciting updates and news as it comes. And lastly, if you have something you've been wondering about, you can email us at I've been wondering podcast at gmail.com and please let us know if there's something that you would like to cover. We would love to hear your suggestions. Oh, yeah. Keep it fresh, keep it exciting. <laughs> Jane, what have you been wondering? Sarah, you know what I've been wondering? What? The only makeup that I'm really good at doing on my face is eyeshadow. Oh, you are really good at eyeshadow. I am. I know. I, I, for some, I like putting colors on my eyes. But I've just, like, I always wonder this. And I think I might have tweeted it in the past. Like, why, like, why I feel so much hotter. Like, (laughs) literally just putting some powder on my eyelids that's, like, a slightly darker shade of beige than the rest of my face. So, like... Just, can you talk about eyeshadow a little bit? And yeah. Like, where it comes from? Definitely. And stuff, like, why it yeah. looks pretty. Stuff like that. Crystal. Talk I'm about kidding. it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. That sounds great. I'm happy to, I'm happy to do that. Yeah. All right. What Jane. have you been wondering lately, Sarah? You know what I've been wondering? You, you love ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I use it to fall asleep sometimes. I've never used it to fall asleep, but I, like, don't even, like, I don't even know what ASMR stands for. Like... I just I want to know I want to know more about the science of okay. ASMR. Mm-hmm. Um, like why why is it so pleasing to us? Like what part is it a part of our brain? Is it a part of our ear? What's going on there? Um, <laughs> stop doing oh, stuff to the S- microphone. S- oh my gosh, <laughs> that just sent a shiver down my See, spine. See, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Topic covered. Topic covered. I've done it. I've explained it. All right. We will see you next week on You Know What I've Been Wondering. 